Well, good morning, everyone. Um, like he said, I am Pastor Danny, and I have the pleasure of wrapping up our Dig Deeper series coming from Romans 1 through 5, 5, 1 through 5. Now, at the end of my sermon, I'm going to invite you to an opportunity to move closer to what it means to walk with Jesus. But before we get started, let's pray. I know we've prayed a lot, but I think it's a moment where we need a little bit more prayer. Gracious God, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you, Father, for your presence with us in this moment. God, I pray that the words that you have given me to speak to your children, God, that you would empower them. God, I pray that we would hear your word this morning and that we would listen to you. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that resides in us. And I pray, Father, that we will declare that after this service, we will not be the same. So God, we thank you for your ever-present word that's living, that's real, and that's active. God, use me as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, I want to start off by reading the base scripture for my sermon. And that's Romans 5.5. 5. And it reads, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, the majority of Christians have a pretty good idea of who the Holy Spirit is. I think in the simplest of terms, we know that he is one part of the Godhead in one, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes we overlook the Holy Spirit part. And that could be for a number of reasons. Maybe we feel as though the Holy Spirit is the least important of the three. Or since the spirit seems to be intangible, we feel like it isn't important. Or maybe because we have no clue what it is and it feels a little spooky, we try to ignore it. Well, allow me to clarify this for you. The Holy Spirit is not lesser, is a lesser form than the Father. He is also not Christ's sidekick. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity, and he has a very important role in the life of all believers. He provides us with wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and reverence of God. See, we can't overlook the Holy Spirit because he is our experience of God on this side of eternity. And it's important to note that while Jesus walked the earth, the Holy Spirit was with him every step of the way. So that means that we can have a relationship with him just as Jesus did. See, some of you may, may not know, but as Pastor Jeff mentioned earlier, today is the day of Pentecost. How appropriate that on the day that we celebrate the coming and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that our closing verse speaks about God's love being poured out by the way of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, coming from the Greek word Pentecoste, which means 50, and refers to the 50 days that have elapsed since the wave offering of the Passover, Pentecost signaled the beginning of the church age. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came, excuse me, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as a spirit enabled them. You see, it was at Pentecost that the disciples witnessed the birth of the New Testament church through the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell in all believers. See, the Holy Spirit, or the advocate, as Christ referred to him in John 14, 16, enters the believing community to guide and protect it until the second coming. Now, apart from being a very beautiful feast, the Pentecost is a day of celebration. It's a day we sell the celebration of God's hand guiding the Christian community through trials and tribulations, our sufferings and decisions that we make every day. And Pentecost reminds us of the reality that we all have the unifying spirit that was poured out upon the first century church many, 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 many years ago. It is a reminder that we are co-heirs with Christ to suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So then, if the Holy Spirit represents God's love being poured out, if the advocate resides in me through whom I receive wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and reverence of God. If my Bible tells me that my suffering produces hope that does not put me to shame, then why have things not changed for my people, for God's children? Why does the land we live on cry out in agony? How much longer will we have to endure the hurt, frustrations, and pains of this unkind world? How many more people must I watch disintegrate emotionally and spiritually and physically like dust before we experience the promise of deliverance? I think that is why I titled my message this morning, Is My Suffering in Vain? In a time when death and sickness and starvation and homelessness and injustice fill the air that once purified our souls, I have to hold on to the hope that the suffering of my ancestors was not in vain. But still, I ask myself, if God says that my suffering produces perseverance, then why do I feel like giving up? If suffering produces character, then why is brokenness being reflected back at me? 
If our suffering produces hope that does not put us to shame, then why do I feel so hopeless? I believe that it's because we don't fully understand the value of our suffering. See, our suffering, though it is painfully raw and conflicting, can encourage and strengthen you in the valleys of your darkest days. We just need to see our suffering through the eyes of God. And from this perspective, I see that my suffering is like God's holy washing machine. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 through 27 reads, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but only holy and blameless. Okay, so when my husband and I first got married, we had a conversation and I asked him a very important question that I believe every married couple before they get married should ask each other. Who's doing the cooking and who's doing the cleaning? (laughs) And we made a deal that because he didn't like washing clothes and I did not like washing dishes, that he would wash all the dishes and I would wash the clothes. You know, call me weird, but washing clothes is therapeutic for me. Now it's tedious and it's long, but in the end, the result is so much more worth it. Oh, the joy I get from scrubbing out a stain and watching wrinkles disappear from a garment. I don't know what it is, but it, it gives me a sense of calmness and rest. You know, the Lord has a big job to do. You know, his job is changing his ragamuffin church into a glorious bride worthy of the lamb. And thankfully, God has his own rent cycle. He is making us holy by washing us with the word, presenting us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. There's value in our suffering because it develops holiness in unholy people. But the laundromat of the Lord is uncomfortable and downright painful. Let's think about it. If you use bleach to get rid of stains, it's a harsh process. In order for it to work, the material must be broken down to penetrate the stains in the thread. Now, imagine your favorite shirt. Getting wrinkles out of it is very painful, other than the pure boredom of just the repetitious movement back and forth. But ironing is a combination of high heat plus firm pressure. And if you place yourself in those metaphors, no wonder suffering hurts. But here's the good news. Developing holiness in us is worthwhile, extremely important to the one who is our divine bridegroom. See, we learn in Hebrews 12.10 that we are enabled to share in his holiness through the discipline of enduring hardship. And Romans chapter 5 assures us that this discipline 
is a, is a sign of God's love being poured out through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I was a dirty, messy, fleshly individual who desperately needed to be made pure. And as hurtful as it is, our sufferings will purify us if we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the second thing that I want us to see is that there's value in our suffering because God's strength is displayed. His strength is displayed in our suffering. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know, most times when we speak of weakness, we think of it in terms of physical abilities. And although weakness can show up in that form, it's our spiritual weakness that I want to focus on this morning. Our culture disdains weakness, but our frailty is a sign of God's workmanship in us. It's during our times of weakness that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. You know, I can remember a, a moment when I was having a hard day due to a very difficult interaction with my biological father. And although outwardly I seemed okay, spiritually I was weak. So at that moment, I needed to pray. But if I can be honest, for the life of me, I just couldn't. I literally had no words to articulate what I needed from God at that moment. So I just prayed that. <laughs> I said, Lord, my heart is weak. I know I need to pray, but I don't even know what to say. And if I'm honest, I don't even want to pray right now. So, Father, here I am offering you my lack of words, a stoic heart, and Holy Spirit, I hope that you can fill in what I can't. I trust that you know what to do with this blank and absent prayer. You know, at that moment, I believe that my, in my weakness, God's strength was displayed. I believe that the Holy Spirit began to intercede for me far before I opened my mouth. So he was able to take my suffering and present it to the Father on my behalf. You know, it's always my prayer that when I share that God is using my transparency for his glory. See, God never wastes our suffering. He redeems all of it for his glory and our blessing. Our suffering displays the strength of God, but it also provides a window of his glory to the world around us. See, his strength can shine through us because we get to know God better through our suffering. The power of the Holy Spirit through God's love can be made very, very, very real to a watching world if we choose to trust him in our pain and our suffering. And 
Finally, I want us to see that our sufferings have value because it's connected to our testimony. Our sufferings are connected to our testimony. First Corinthians chapter two, verse four through five reads, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. As I stated, I choose to always preach from a place of hope, faith, and transparency. It's through my suffering that I found my calling in ministry. It's through my suffering that God, the potter of my testimony, molded me into who he wanted me to be. Our suffering prepares us to comfort and to minister others who suffer. So, you know, the saying that misery loves company, yeah, it always gets a bad rap. But name a time when in your own misery, the comfort or encouragement of another didn't provide you with the strength you needed to feel better, if not, but for even a moment. You know, feeling isolated is one of the hardest parts of suffering. It can feel like you're all alone in your pain and it makes it even harder and it makes that suffering worse. The comfort of those who known this pain is inexpressible. It feels like a warm blanket being draped around your soul. But in order for someone to comfort you through your suffering, that person had to have walked through some valleys of suffering on their own. Like many of you, I have had to walk through the valley of many sufferings. Growing up without my biological father, having to have been separated from my mom for five years as a result of a nasty divorce that left her bare and without resources to care for myself and my sister. Having to have experienced the death of my grandmother, the one who helped raise me during that time. Growing up as an African-American girl in an affluent white suburban culture in Texas, being looked at as too black to fit in with my white students and, too, and not black enough to fit in with the black students. Me finding myself stuck in the middle of mistaken identity. I suffered through the struggle to find my voice as a woman with a clear call to ministry while surrounded by men who just couldn't affirm that. The struggle I experienced getting pregnant, the suffering of the death of my son, even my own academic sufferings, the list goes on and on and on, but through it all, I can say that the Holy Spirit <laughs> showed himself real and powerful. Through my suffering, I rested upon the love of God and my suffering connected me to my testimony. Now, I've experienced enough suffering in my life to know that the power of the Holy Spirit is real and it's in me. 
I know that my suffering produces perseverance and that perseverance, character, and character, hope. I believe with all my might that my hope will not put me to shame. But on the day that we celebrate the unification of all believers through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as we glorify God for his love that has been poured out, as we welcome the sufferings of life as as Christ did himself, I sit before you perplexed, hurt, broken, frustrated and exhausted as I watch the world around me come under attack as the church sits in silence. How can we proclaim to be the body of Christ, but yet we are so divided? What happens when the body is separated and disjointed and radically amputated? Will it not longer, no longer be the body? Is it no longer effective if we are dismantled? Will it not die? Yet, knowing that, we turn the other way. See, Pentecost is supposed to be, is supposed to present us with an opportunity to consider how we are living each day. Pentecost offers a chance to confess our failure to live by the Spirit and to ask the Lord to fill us afresh with his power. Pentecost is supposed to be a reminder of our desperate need for the intervention of the Holy Spirit's power. But today, instead of joy, I see hurt. I see faces filled with anger. I see hearts overwhelmed with sadness and pain. And I ask the question, is my suffering in vain? We seem to believe that as long as we have a personal relationship with God, everything else is secondary. But Pentecost is a vivid illustration of the truth that is found throughout Scripture. That truth that the community of God's people is central to God's work in the world. Pentecost urges us to examine our own participation in the mission of the church. You know, I prepared this sermon with a heavy heart. My spirit was boiling over like the fire of an explosive volcano. I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. The weight of the suffering was becoming so heavy that I felt too weak to even try to preach. And I asked God, how do I prepare my heart to preach your sermon when my heart is filled with so much pain? How do I preach a message message of hope and suffering when I watch my people suffer without hope? How do I, as a black woman, pastoring in a majority culture church, as the only one who looks like me, preach a message about suffering that brings hope? You know, the struggle of believing you and all these things, God, the peace that can come when we let go of control, me not feeling like preaching, me, the message you've given me, me not wanting to do it, being sick and tired of being sick and tired, constantly pleading and begging for the Holy Spirit to show up. It's hard to have faith and to find peace 
especially in these moments that we are living in. But I am reminded, and I was reminded at that moment, who God is. I am reminded of the son who gave his life and suffered the greatest affliction of them all. I am reminded that the very weight of sin was on his back and he too cried out that God might remove the burden, but he said, nevertheless, may your will be done and not mine. You see, we serve a God who sees us, is with us, and brings hope where we desperately need it. It's the Holy Spirit's work that allows us to grow in the image of Christ. We just need to be more aware of his presence and his power. Pentecost is a call to the church to be unified in this vision. And it's only through Christ that we can find hope. God is producing something new in us, family. We need to live as a people who are declared righteous. And I am encouraged because 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. I don't know where your heart is today. I can only imagine the many ways that you yourself have experienced suffering. But I want to let you know that there is no such thing as pointless pain in the life of the child of God. Your suffering is not in vain. God uses every ounce of your hurt, your sadness, your pain, and your struggles. And as painful as it is, our sufferings forces us to face the fact that we are powerless to change other people, and most situations that we must depend solely and completely on the power of God. I feel blessed to be a part of this church because I can honestly say that for the first time in my life, I feel safe. I feel like my church family here is protecting me. But it saddens me because I can't say that about many of my friends and my family. But I'm grateful that while all these things are going on around me, God saw fit to place me in a church with people who see me, all of me, and will stand with me. But as your pastor, I'm asking, Will you replicate yourselves? Will you be an example so that my people might experience something more than what they're experiencing? Would you stand and allow yourself so that my people can see that it is possible to live in harmony with one another? See, I trust that change will come to this world if we as a church are willing to be used to bring it. 
I know that my suffering is not in vain because my suffering brings the hope that one day my daughter will never experience this kind of pain. That my daughter will never experience this kind of injustice. That she will never know that people cannot live in harmony. That is my hope. And I have hope that the glory of God's love for the justice, for justice will be manifested for all, no matter your race, your creed, your economic status, your past, or your sexuality. I hope that in this, it will come to pass because our sufferings is not in vain. And I stand on this hope because I know that my hope does not put me to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. As we worship, <laughs> I invite you in the chat box to share what your sufferings are. I invite you to share what your hope for this world is. I invite you in the chat box to type out how do you need the spirit to show up for you this morning and every day after that. Let us respond and worship. 